0: Hello and welcome to the Parley Podcast. I'm Sridam Srinivasan. This week's discussion is about India's digital services tax, which a recent US trade representative investigation found to be discriminatory. The report said the tax is inconsistent with prevailing principles of international taxation, And is something that burdens or restricts U.S. commerce. India has denied these charges. The 2% tax which has been imposed since April 2020 on a broad range of digital transactions only applies to non-resident companies. So is India's digital services tax discriminatory? To discuss this, I am joined by Suranjali Tandon, Assistant Professor, National Institute of Public Finance and Policy, and Nikhil Kapoor, Research Fellow at the Vidhi Center for Legal Policy. India introduced a 6% equalization levy in 2016. From then on to taxing a broader basket of online services in 2020, how do you view what India has done, especially in the context of the rest of the world,
1: Suranjali? Thanks, Sriram. In fact, uh, the equalization levy, I would say, is the culmination of very many things that have happened at the international level. Uh, We have to sort of rewind back to 2013, uh, when the base erosion and profit shifting program by the OECD was launched at the behest of the G20 countries. Uh, Under the 15 action points, action point one was to look at the tax challenges arising from digitalization specifically. And uh, over the course of two years, they worked uh, on, on, I would say, mammoth size reports. But what happened was that in 2015, while all on, on, on other action points, there was some kind of an agreement of what would be the way forward, action point one still remained a uh, work in progress. And uh, OECD sort of committed itself to continue to work towards the solution. The main problem that the action point one was to find a new way to tax digital companies that at the moment, uh, are not uh, adequately taxed because of how the rules are designed. So the primary concern was that uh, companies do not have a physical location in the markets where they operate. And of course use the intangibles intensively or which are hard to value. Uh, So uh, moving from 2015, we reached 2018. Uh, A lot of work went in. Uh, The OECD in 2018 put out an interim report Uh, which briefed the countries on where the thoughts were and what actions had been taken. Uh, The report mentioned specifically that, you know, there was no consensus at that time on what is the contribution of user and data. And there were countries uh, that believed that very strongly that these two contributed significantly to the value, whereas there were others who said that, you know, there are intangibles as well that are used alongside which contribute to the value. Now, India in 2016 had uh, taken the lead to be the first country to implement the equalization levy, which was on the advertising services alone at the rate of 6%. And this was basically on payments that are made made to a non-resident, by a resident advertising on the platform. And I think um, this was essentially based on the thinking that, you know, there is a solution that will be worked out And uh, in the interim, this could be used as a way to substitute for uh, no taxes uh, that, uh, you know, there were no taxes being paid by large MNCs. And therefore, India would get some right to tax. And uh, eventually, when a solution is reached at a global level, uh, these would sort of be phased out. So, uh, in 2018, you know, taking cognizance of the fact that countries, countries such as such as India had taken such steps, OECD sort of became proactive about uh, progressing on uh, finding a solution. And then, um, in 2019, in as a sharp departure from its original thinking, OECD put out a policy note saying that look. Uh, I think there's an elephant in the room, which is the redistribution of taxing rights, uh, which this action point sort of seems to uh, bring up again and again. And unless we address this, uh, there is uh, the finding the consensus would be difficult. So, um, in after the policy note was uh, put out, the, the OECD proposal was split into two parts, as we call it today, pillar one and pillar two and uh, pillar one is supposed to re-examine uh, the whole issue of, of you know where is the company uh located for the purposes of tax can we say that users are the basis of taxing and uh, uh how much of this profit should be attributed uh to the jurisdictions let's say such as india so that was pillar one and pillar two was basically to look at uh, any avoidance strategies or curb avoidance strategies and uh from there on there have been uh, a lot of thinking on how this is to be designed uh, there are different countries that take different positions so for example india originally in 2018 had introduced a test for significant economic presence in its uh, income tax act and that was in a way to uh, uh, you know to present that india thought that you know if a company had users in 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 india it sort of uh, defined the economic connection of that company with India and therefore gives the right to tax. And while this was introduced in the Income Tax Act, uh, it really did not have any value because uh, the treaties would have to be amended uh, to incorporate a similar provision for it to be applicable. And uh, some of these thoughts actually were uh, uh, communicated at the OECD and were incorporated by the OECD in subsequent drafts as something that they would consider. And if you look at the pillar one proposal again, it looks at a new nexus rule. But essentially what has happened is that instead of saying that all profits uh, that uh, India may see derived uh, from operations in India, which could include uh, rents to intangibles uh, countries, Believed uh, like like the U.S. believed that you know part of this profit is only attributable, and therefore a new notion, which in my opinion has no economic basis, was created to say there are routine profits and above these routine profits, uh, whatever accrues uh, will be split between qualifying market jurisdictions. So we fast forward to uh, you know uh, to 2020, and U.S. in the G20 meeting expressed. Uh, it's uh, concerns said that you know there is a possibility that even if OECD does find a consensus solution, there should be an option of applying this on a safe harbor basis, which is to say that the company can choose whether this consensus solution applies. Now, I think this startled a lot of countries that were co-opted into the consensus framework, um, particularly if you look at uh, the France or you look at other European countries. Uh, they were apprehensive that tomorrow, if this applies on a safe harbor basis, does this really serve the purpose? And uh, uh, I think uh, to, con- to contextualize India's equalization in 2020, uh, this was the sort of um, conversation brewing at the international level. And as a surprise move, uh, as some call it, uh, the new equalization levy, which expands the scope significantly, even to e-commerce operators, Uh, was implemented uh, in, uh, was introduced in uh, 2020. And uh, after that, uh, the U.S. has taken a stance that it would interrogate such measures as uh, a hindrance to its commerce and trade. And uh, irrespective of the position that the U.S. takes on this, countries such as France, India, as you know, there are 10 countries that, uh, against which the investigations have been initiated, Uh, they have taken a position to say that, you know, well, uh, this might be perhaps an interim solution. And I believe that, you know, uh, a lot of time has lapsed since the the work began on this program. And the OECD's uh, work is supposed to conclude in June 2021 with some kind of a consensus solution. But, uh, you know, there are apprehensions of being able to tax activities correctly to restore balance between the brick and mortar economy and the digital economy. And so, so digital services tax or equalization levy, in, in some sense, restore their that balance in the interim. So, that's a brief snapshot of where we are and why we are there.
0: Nikhil, how do you see the evolution?
2: So, essentially, like Ms. Soranjali pointed out, this all the the, the equalization levy 2220 as we see today is a result of a lot of public consult uh, a lot, not public consultation but a lot of circulation amongst the international community starting with the base erosion profit shifting project of the oecd which began in 2013 in 2016 the first report come, uh, came out and it had suggested three interim measures which countries could uh, could adopt like they were, they were just mere ideas, like Mr. Ranjali pointed out. They were not uh, recommendations of the OECD. Uh, first one was the equalisation levy. Second one was the withholding tax, and third one was a new nexus rule. Now, India has been a front runner in in, uh, in introducing unilateral measures in taxing the digital economy. In 2016, the Achilles Ranjan Committee report had come out. And it had suggested that in order to create a level playing field between online businesses and brick and mortar businesses, it is required that digital businesses, which do not have a physical presence in India, but are anyway able to enjoy a sustainable presence, sustainable economic presence in India should be uh, paying a certain amount of tax. This was how the Equalization Levy 2016 was conceptualized. India has always maintained that once there is a global consensus, it will cease to uh, keep Equalization Levy in force. So, after, after 2016, uh, India has been engaged in the global discussions uh, with, uh, with the international community at the OECD level. And the OECD has uh, been uh, had promised to deliver a consensus-based solution by mid 2019. Now that essentially did not happen owing to the coronavirus pandemic. But because of the growing needs of uh, of growing need of India to generate tax revenues. This was a sudden move that uh, that shook the entire digital community uh, by surprise. So what essentially happened was that in the Memorandum to the Finance Bill 2020, uh, there was talk about expanding the significant economic presence concept. But when the Finance uh, Act was tabled and passed, uh, the equalization levy 2020 pro- provisions so, uh, suddenly appeared. Unlike the 2016 levy, this 2020 levy was devoid of any sort of public consultation. And uh, uh, it was a major surprise for the digital community. And that is uh, perhaps why the first two deadlines of Uh, Paying the Equalization Levy 2020 was also missed by a lot of multinationals. Now, in terms of what other countries are doing, uh, going to the pandemic, even other countries introduced digital services taxes, which are akin to India's Equalization Levy. However, these other digital services taxes have not been devoid of public consultation. For instance, the UK DST underwent significant public scrutiny, consultation, and the result is more sound than what perhaps the India's perhaps India's equalisation levy 2020 is.
0: How different is the UK tax, Nikhil?
2: So one of the primary criticisms uh, against the equalisation levy is that it's a tax on revenue as opposed to being a tax on profits. So UK's approach would essentially uh, uh, enable uh, companies to not pay any tax where their net operating margin is negative. So uh, instead of being a tax on revenue, it also takes into account whether a business is profitable or not. Uh, Another instance would be, uh, for instance, a transaction that involves three jurisdictions, for example. For instance, an Indian user located in the United Kingdom is receiving services from a US company. In this in this instance, the US company would become uh, liable to pay the Indian DS uh, the Indian Equalisation Levy and the UK DST as well as corporate income taxes in the United States. So for a situation like this, the UK DST contemplates that only 50% of the revenues from such a transaction would be uh, chargeable to the UK DST. So these are little nitty gritties that the UK DST has taken care of, which essentially make it a better law. Another ma- major difference is that companies that sell their own inventories are explicitly excluded from the scope of UK DST. Whereas under the equalization levy, the the scope is absolutely broad and covers anything and everything under the sun. So in these regards, the UK DSC is quite different from from India's equalization
0: levy. Suranjali, would you want to add to this?
1: Uh, I would say that there is an EU-wide thinking on how this was to be applied. There were a set of uh, activities that were considered, which could be included in the EU-wide digital services tax. Of course, there were countries within the EU that disagreed that such a tax should be levied, even as an interim measure. And um, my assumption is that UK was part of that thinking at some point. But UK makes a slight departure in terms of details and what is covered or perhaps what is um, whether it's on a net basis. And I think... uh, uh, so, so, so in that sense, it's slightly different from how India, uh, India has implemented it. But if you look at how the US looks at it, okay. So there is this one way to say that you know uh, how do we look at uh, uh, this tax? Of course, it's in principle designed slightly differently from India. Uh, whether it is in, in through consultative process, uh, I am not aware whether there was greater consultation taken. Uh, in terms of UK's application, obviously, in terms of India, it came as a surprise move. But um, if you look at in terms of how US views these taxes, uh, the US also looks at the UK taxes in some way uh, discriminatory. So, so I would say that in in design, it might be different. It may ap- actually be applicable perhaps on a net basis. But uh, uh, in the end, it remains in in the eyes of US as discriminatory.
0: So the larger questions around this issue still haven't been resolved, isn't it, Suranjali?
1: Absolutely, Sriram. It's it's still in the woodwork. So if you look at the recent report on the blueprints that has been put out, it's a monstrous report with 250 pages and it has a great level of detail. So if you were to just search through the document and look for a number of items that still require agreement, they're massive. And so therefore, um, I see that there is still not absolute consensus on what this solution might look like. And uh, there are still countries trying to figure out what their uh, position on each of those points is. So I would say, yes, it's work in progress.
0: The USTR report finds India's digital services tax problematic. But are these discriminatory, your views, Nikhil?
2: The investigation finds uh, that uh, India's equalization levy uh,
0: discriminates
2: against U.S. companies in particular. And the reason that they uh, give for it is that since the tax incident by design is on non-president companies, it is uh, and since U.S. companies are allegedly leaders in the digital services space, And because the incidence of uh, the Equalization Levy 2020 is mostly on U.S. companies, which is 72%, it's arbitrary and it's uh, not warranted as per the United States. In terms of the law being arbitrary and not providing the kind of certainty that a taxpayer can hope for, the report concludes that uh, it's, it, the law is arbitrary and I don't really find any objection with the report that the USGR has uh, published in this regard because the law is, uh, is devoid of clarity and does not essentially provide certainty to the taxpayer. But there are several grounds which are not in consonance with what could be a valid reason to call, uh, call a certain act discrimination. For instance, the report claims that India's approach to taxing just non-residents is quite unique. But that is not true. Most DSTs are applicable basis the end user and the transaction now uh, uh, another reasoning that the us uh, TI report gives is that the same uh, so, so same services offered non-digitally are not taxed and this is leading to the ring fencing of the di- digital economy essentially for the indian context the affiliate dungeon committee report said that the idea behind the equalization levy was to create a level playing field between the between the ordinary businesses that have a physical presence in a country and pay regular taxes and the ones that are operating digitally that can avoid such taxes. Now, if uh, you you were to define what the digital economy is, for instance, uh, what particular sectors they are operating in, that would in a way also reference the digital economy. What India has done is not a textbook example of what should be done, but defining what the digital economy would encompass would is, will also essentially reinvent the a, a digital economy. In terms of the USTR report claiming that DST is unreasonable as a tax policy, you cannot argue with the fact that the law is not clear and is in fact very amb- ambiguous. So in this regard, I cannot say that the law is very clear and there is no issue with the law, but to say that it's discriminating particularly against US companies would essentially be uh, overstepping, uh, so to say. The other thing that the uh, USTR report claims is that uh, DST taxes companies with no permanent establishment in India, contravening international tax principles that should not be subject to a country's corporate tax regime, absent a territorial connection to that country. Now, in this regard, the entire BEPS project is based on the fact that digital companies are able to enjoy sustained economic presence in other jurisdictions without being physically present. Now, the international community is moving towards a scenario where such transactions ought to be taxed. Therefore, to say that it's contrary to uh, international tax principles would be, like again, overstepping a little. Now, the other thing that the report claims is that the DST taxes companies revenue rather than their income. This is inconsistent with international tax practice that income, not revenue, is the appropriate basis of corporate taxation. Over here also, since the issue of digital uh, taxing digital companies is sort of unique, a lot of uh, uh, scholars have argued that taxing revenue for, for, for digital transactions as a location-specific rent is more feasible than a digital presence because it would lead to lesser compliance costs and a quicker dispute resolution mechanism as well. Because the paying liability is mostly on the resident payer. Now, in terms of uh, whether the DST burdens or restricts US commerce, the report claims that there is extraterritorial application and its taxation of revenues rather than income. Uh, There is a very low uh, domestic threshold. Uh, in terms of extra extraterritoriality, there are conflicting views within the Indian legal system as well. Some some believe that under Article Two Forty Five of the Indian Constitution, India, India has the right to uh, enact laws that are extraterritorial in nature. Uh, on the other hand, uh, some believe that uh, this is uh, this is too weak a nexus to bring bring this
0: into the purview of taxation. Suranjali, what are your views on the report?
1: Hmm. So, um, the report tries to examine whether this is unreasonable, uh, whether there is any retrospective application, and whether this is discriminatory. Uh, So, each of these, I think I'd like to break each of these arguments down and uh, sort of look at whether these are or not. So in sum, the report concludes, yes, it's discriminatory, which was also in the case of France uh, uh, that the U.S. had concluded in in its investigations. See, um, why is it discriminatory? One is that they say that it applies to only U.S. companies. And that argument, I find um, uh, there's a problem with the argument because if the market itself is dominated by U.S. firms, like if you look at the report, it says 72 percent, of the companies to which this will apply are actually us firms and the fact that it applies to us firms may be the result of the market structure so uh, per se by its application it is not uh, because it, it, it doesn't it's not designed to be discriminatory but it, it is a result of the market structure so that's one aspect is it unreasonable uh, well to the extent the clarifications were not issued and i know that uh, in the budget, there has been some uh, mention of the equalisation levy. So, uh, to the extent there was no clarification into uh, provided last year, perhaps it's unreasonable in that sense. But um, other than that, I would say that it's 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 the result of uh, how the market for digital companies is. And in fact, if you look interestingly, uh, the threshold that India has. Uh, uh, sort of laid down for the equalization levy is actually much below what the EU envisages, and I would see that the the issue of discrimination would arise, uh, or would be, uh, or could be said as a critique of the DST more strongly in the case of uh, Europe uh, than for India. In fact, it applies more widely in India, and uh, if a company were to set up a PE today in India. It would no longer be uh, liable to paying uh, the tax, uh, the equalisation levy. So, in that sense, it no longer would be discriminatory if a company were to set it up. But of course, uh, you can also argue whether this qualifies as discriminatory under uh, different other different laws, and that requires a deeper examination. Uh, the report also makes a mention of it violating the uh, principles of international tax, and you know just. Uh, Uh, this might sound provocative, but um, if the companies that currently operate within that framework do not stand up to the measures or or the principles of international tax, uh, the introduction of a tax to plug that uh, gap should not be looked at as a perverse move. So uh, that's the gist of what I think of the report.
0: What could happen next? Retaliation by way of tariffs? Nikhil?
1: See,
2: uh, this issue becomes very political in the sense that Section 301 investigations had themselves become obsolete before, before the Trump administration. Like the last Section 301 investigation that happened was 2001, post that there was an almost investigation that happened in 2013. And after 2013, the Trump administration has been pursuing Section 301 investigations, against countries to get their way. Now, Section 301 investigations in in themselves are unilateral in nature because the U.S. trade representative is essentially deciding on whether a measure is violative of U.S.'s rights. So there is an inherent bias as to what the findings are going to be. Now, in terms of what the, uh, US, uh, what the what the what the United States can do, it can impose trade tariffs on India. But I I believe uh, they would want to collaborate with India and discuss and then find an amicable solution in, in, rather than uh, imposing strict trade tariffs. Which is the case, which is what happened between uh, the uh, French authorities and the United States authorities. The French DSK report was one of the first uh, discrimination reports to come out under the Section 301 investigations that the Trump administration had uh, started out. Now, uh, the criticism against Section 301 investigations is that uh, after the WTO law came into picture and the dispute settlement mechanism came into picture and uh, the scope of the general agreement on trade and services were expanded to include services as well countries have been of the view that an international body should be looking at such disputes and then finding a solution based on what the international body suggests but here it is a domestic body ruling for Uh, discrimination against the United States and because the political scenario has changed now it's not the Trump administration the the, the way section 301 investigations are going to be used in the future is still something that remains to be seen.
0: We'll end this parlay with a question on how the basic problem is going to be solved. So how do you see a consensus on the broader issues emerging Suranjali?
1: Hmm, an interesting point, uh, Sriram, uh, uh, you know, every time I read the news on international tax, something has changed and it's, it's like reading a thriller. So uh, to, to sort of say that this would be the end is actually spoiling the fun of it. But uh, if you ask me, in my, uh, in my view, there are uh, you a know, couple of ways forward one is to say and which the position that india has taken is to remain committed to the oecd's process uh, to influence it and to say that there are uh, all, you know there are ways to tweak this this design because essentially it will be implemented or put out in not implemented but put out in june 2021 so the design could be worked out better to take into consideration the interests of the developing countries and as the OECD suggests, to make this a self-standing, uh, you know, a, a, a legal provision, which would uh, operate by itself, would help quickly apply across countries. Now, of course, what is the give and take uh, for each country that is left to question? Because, uh, you know, there may be countries which actually are paying out. If you look at the OECD's estimates. Uh, the benefits from applying its approach at the moment actually accrue from investment hubs across the globe so that one that is one solution if countries remain committed and uh, can are able to influence its design in the end uh, the united nations has taken um, uh, some sort of uh, leadership on this to design its own proposal which is an automated digital services tax which is to say that within the existing treaty framework today we introduce a withholding on payments that are made from markets to residence jurisdictions and, uh, you know, be done with it. It's like saying that, you know, if you pay out a royalty, uh, you withhold some tax and then uh, there's a credit available in other country. And I think third to my mind, which I think is 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 what I think is a possibility, uh, may be to apply the digital service tax. And then, uh, allow countries to bilaterally negotiate uh, with with, with their respective partner countries a process of crediting this tax. And why I say that's pragmatic, because through this application of, you know, let's say an equalization levy or digital service tax, there's been some identification of services that are currently out of the ambit. And, uh, you know, just simply settling the matter by saying that, you know, credit is available for this tax in the country where the, the income is repatriated, it takes into consideration the costs at the moment, which are the criticism of the tax, right? So I think uh, these are the three ways forward, but uh, the third being my own suggestion, but in internationally there are two that are being discussed, but I would not say that the, the it's easy to, say, to speak the final word on this,
0: And that brings us to an end to this edition of Parley. Thanks to Ranjali and Nikhil for taking part.